what we're saying is the greatest, the greatest command in Scripture is this, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so, last week, just to kind of set that whole framework up, we talked about it's impossible to truly love Jesus until we understand the Father's love for us. Until we understand John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he first loved us. We also talked about this Hebrew word, ahava, which means a love like I'm not going anywhere. That is the way that the Father loves us. In our culture today, um, love is so romanticized. Meaning like, if you hurt my feelings or if you break my heart, I'm leaving, right? That's what we kind of get comfortable with. How many, um, anybody ever been in a high school relationship for like three days? Like, for like three days, you're head over heels, you're so in love, and then like on the fourth day, it's over, right? I just want you to get this. That is not how the Father loves us. Okay, he's not saying, hey, listen, you messed it all up, you screwed it all up, I'm moving on to the next person, you're too much work. The Father loves us with an ahava love, which means I'm not going anywhere. So we also talked about the whole reason that God went to the cross, the whole reason that God sent his one and only son for us is this. He knew you were going to be a mess and he chose to save you anyway, right? He knew you were going to be a wreck. He knew you were going to be a mess. And he still chose to send his one and only son to save you. And we, and we talked about Romans 5, um, verse 8. But God, anybody know that? But God chose to save us even though we were still sinners. So even though you were still dead, even though you were still messed up. And we talked about this whole idea that there is no answer inside of yourself. Listen. You cannot clean yourself up. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you can do to make yourself in right standing with Jesus. There's nothing that you can do. You cannot clean yourself up good enough. So we, we said this, stop trying. Stop trying to be this better person and this better you and then going, okay, once I get all this stuff in order, then I'll go to God. And then I'll go to Jesus once I get my life in order. No, God says, you're a mess right now, I want you right now, and I want to work on you right now. Okay, so we talked about the Father loves us, how we are right now. So this morning, what I want to talk about is how are we to respond to that love? How are we to live out the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? How are we to respond to this love? Just to give you a little um, update, on next week we're actually going to be finishing out that verse, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's going to be next week if you're curious. So here's the deal. Matthew 22, 37 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. So we've got to get this in our heads. Our love for the Father is based on the fact that he first loved us. So here's the whole idea. We want to love Jesus because we want to, not because we have to. We want to love Jesus because there's this just drive in us that goes, man, I am so captured and so captivated by what the Father has done for me and how much he loves me even despite of me. Even when I screw it all up, even when I mess it all up, that God still chooses to love me. So how do we love God? How do we love God? Well, let's pull it simply out of Scripture. Number one, we love Him with all of our heart. We love Him with all of our heart. Let me give you an example. And I want to set up a, just to build a little framework for you about kind of how our heart actually works. Um, in 2006, I was in my second year of, of Bible school. 
And uh, I was so excited during the summer. I finally saved up some money, and my dad said, if you save up about $1,500, he said, I'll match it, and you can go buy a car. So I was like, awesome, this, this is my first car. So I show up to this dealership in Jennings, and I see this Honda, this 1986 240SX, okay? And it's like in pristine condition. It's like the paint color is perfect. It's just silver. It is, there's no dings, there's no scratches, and the guy was selling it for $3,000. I'm like, great, I have that kind of money. I want to put it down, and so I buy this car, and, and for like months, I am absolutely in love with this car. I think I'm the coolest person on the face of the earth. There's one problem, okay? I took such good care of the outside of this car, and I vacuumed the inside, and I never paid attention to the engine. Ever. <laughs> okay, so I drove this car for a year without ever changing the oil, without ever getting any tune-up. Just, I was stupid. Okay? And so one day, I am, Claire, my wife, who's my girlfriend at the time, we're leaving Jennings and we're heading back to Lafayette, and I'm on the road, and I'm like, man, what is that smell? I'm like, man, somebody's driving. Man, that sucks for them. Their car's about to burn up. And lo and behold, I'm driving, and all of a sudden, I start looking out. I'm like, babe, is it getting foggy out? She's like, no, I think your car is smoking. I'm like, no, not my baby. My baby don't smoke, all right? Um, so I, I'm, I'm noticing something, and all of a sudden, out of the hood, I see flames. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. So I pull over. I'm on I-10, and out of all places that have to stop, I pull over and I look to the right and I break down right in front of the lion's den. <laughs> like, are you serious? A, a, a guy in Bible college, his car breaks down and I'm sitting right in front of the lion's den. My, my wife was like so innocent at the time. She's like, what's that? I'm like, just don't even worry about it, all right? We're not going in there to ask for help. <laughs> um, so I'm sitting here and I'm going, God, what in the world? I remember calling my dad and his words at the time I was frustrated with myself, but he says, son, did you ever change the oil? And I was like, uh, no, I mean, I gave it a good wash, and <laughs> it looked really good. And here's the problem. I think a lot of us as Christians sometimes, we're not aware of our heart because we're so concerned about the outside. We're more concerned about what we look like and what we appear to be rather than what's going on on the inside. So here's the thing. You cannot love God with all your heart if you're not stewarding or taking care of your heart, what's on the inside. It's just impossible. Because here's the thing, you may look good to the world, you may look good to your family members and your coworkers, but on the inside, you're dying. On the inside, you're going, man, I'm just burnt out, I'm stressed out, and I'm ready to call it quits. So here's the thing. In Matthew 22 through 25, verse 28, Jesus talks about this um, in a very harsh way. Let me be honest with you. He talks about um, people that are so concerned about the outside rather than the inside. And he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, for you clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, Here's, get this, which are outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus is talking about this whole idea. He says, look, the grave, the tomb, it looks good. It's all white. It's all neat. It's all put together, but inside it's just dead bones. So here's the deal. 
Jesus is always going to transform you from the inside out. And don't reverse that, ever. And a lot of times as Christians, we reverse that, right? We want to outwardly appear beautiful. We want to outwardly look like we've got it all together. It's the same idea of maybe some of you were coming to church this morning, and you're in your car, and you're with your husband, or you're with your wife, and like you're just fighting. And all of a sudden, you're driving by, and I'm standing out there, and you're like, ah, and like, oh, look, there's Pastor Zach, smile. Right? It's, it's all of a sudden, it's this fake idea of what this perception that we want people to perceive us as, when really on the inside, things aren't going well. Things aren't going well. A true relationship with Christ starts within first. So here's the deal. If you're going to learn to love God with all your heart, you must learn to steward your heart. What does that word steward mean? It means that you must learn to take care of your heart. Why? Here's what Jeremiah says about our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? If the Lord searches the heart and he tests the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds, what is that verse saying? It says, you don't even understand your own heart. You don't even know why you do some of the things that you do. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and for some reason it's like something just snapped in your head and you spew out words and in the middle of you saying it, you're going, I want to take those back. You ever done that? And you don't even know why. You're like, what? That was so dumb. Why did I just say that? Or maybe, maybe you're stuck in some kind of sin right now and you're going, I just got to get out of this, but I don't know why I can't. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitfully wicked and you can't even understand it. The only one that can is Jesus. So here's the deal. Last week we talked about this crazy, amazing, unconditional love that the Father has for us. And that is so true. There could be nothing more than the truth. But there's also this thing called sin. And you have to treat sin as a big deal. Jesus even saw it as such a big deal that he sent his one and only son to die for it. So here's what happens. When you treat sin like it's not a big deal, you break intimacy with Christ. So let me ask you a question. Do you feel far away from God right now? Do you feel like, man, I just feel so distant from Jesus? Chances are sin is not a big deal to you. It's easy for you to just kind of shove things under the rug and say, I'll deal with that later. I'm going to go to church and get my Jesus fixed and then get out of here, right? Do you feel far away from God? Chances are you're more comfortable with just simply mowing over sin. You know what that means? You're more comfortable with going, I know i got this sin in my life. I know that I need to take care of this. I know I need to let God transform me in this area. But you know what? I'm just going to keep dealing with it and hope that it gets better. And the truth is, if it was going to get better, then you would have made it better already. And you can't, Right? So, so here's the deal. If we're going to love God with all of our heart, then we've got to attempt to understand our heart. And even Jeremiah says you can't understand it, but this is what I mean by understanding your heart. I mean this. You've got to know what you're weak in. You've got to know what your temptations are and what causes you to go down certain paths. Like for me, let me just set a standard that I've done in my marriage, okay? Um... I love my wife deeply, but there are just certain things that I'm not going to do. Like, I'm not going to get in a room or I don't counsel a, a, a woman alone. Just don't do that. It's not that I don't trust myself. I don't trust sin. 
Uh, if you come to our office with all of our pastors, every single pastor in our office has a glass door. I mean, we're, we don't hide anything. You know why that is? It's not that we don't trust ourselves. We don't trust the enemy. And so here's the thing. Are you putting yourself self in a certain situation that is that your heart is drawn to that? And you're going, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep struggling or dealing with this? Are you putting yourself in that temptation? Are you putting yourself in harm's way? Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance or watchfulness, for from it flow the springs of life. So the greatest way to watch over your heart is to be aware of your weakness. So let me talk to the men real quick. Men, and this, this may hit home, this may hurt just a little bit, but I want you to know I love you, okay? Men, I don't know if you know this, but just because you wear cowboy boots, kill ducks, draw blood, and drive a four-wheel drive car does not make you strong. You know that? It does not make you strong. In your weakness, you are made strong, not attempting to look strong. Okay, when you are vulnerable, the, the Bible says when you are weak, you are made strong. So as men, what, is, what are we prone to do? We're a prone to appear strong. You ever had those men that's like, man, I don't cry for nothing. I don't cry for nothing. And it, they do. They go in the bathroom like, oh, God. When you appear to look strong, you're depriving yourself of what you actually need. Here's the greatest thing that you can do as a man. Don't appear to look strong. Just go, hey, you know what? I don't have it all figured out. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. My brother's here. I don't know where he is. Somewhere a few, a few weeks ago, um, we had a kind of a spot in our bathroom where my toilet had leaked a little bit and the floor was soft. And I told my wife, I said, listen. You know what? I'm just take care of this. I'm going to rip out the floor. And she's like, don't you dare rip out the floor. I'm like, woman, I got this. All right? I know what she's like. You, you do not know what you're doing. You're going to rip open that floor and uncover stuff. I'm like, look, I'll figure it out. She's like, bottom line, you're not a handyman. Don't do it. So you know what I had to do? I had to be like, um, Andrew, uh, I just want to let you know. Um, I think I know what I'm doing, man. <laughs> You want to come over and help me? We haven't fixed it yet. It ended up not being a major problem. He came and looked at it, and he's like, dude, that's nothing. We can do that with just this and this. And I was about to rip out the entire bathroom. <laughs> Sometimes the greatest thing that you can do as men, if you want to take care of your heart and you want to learn to love God with all your heart, is just admit you're weak. Stop appearing to look strong. It's stupid. It's stupid. Women, just because you care, parent kids, do the laundry, clean dishes, and make dinner... This does not make you strong. This does not make you strong. You may appear to be strong to all your mom friends, but inside you are beat and tired. And the greatest thing that you can do is allow yourself to allow Jesus tear down facades and tear down walls and go, man, I'm just, man, I'm struggling in this. I am weak in this. I don't know what to do. The greatest way that you can love God with all of your heart is to know your weakness. Is to know your weakness. So, we talked about loving God with all our heart. Number two, now we're to love God with all of our soul. All of our soul. 
In the first five books of the Old Testament, the soul refers to our whole being as a living person. Genesis says this, Yahweh, God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. What does this mean? Your soul is like everything that you are. Everything that you live and breathe, all of your passions, all of your desires, that is your soul. Your soul is what's going to live forever. So just, just keep this in mind. Like Everything that you work for on this earth, everything that you strive for, it will one day pass. And the only thing that you have is your soul. The only thing you can take with you is your soul. Our soul is us going, God, everything that I put my hands to. All of my talents, all these talents, this is what I give to you. Our entire being, our entire soul is to display who God is. So let me ask you this question. When you walk into certain places, is it noticeably different that God's doing something in your life? Like for some of you, there's many of you that have come in here and, and you, you've gotten saved in this church and you've come to know Jesus. Now the question is, when you step outside of these walls, is there any difference? Is there any difference? There should be a deep longing in our soul to want to know Jesus deeply. Our soul, like I said, is, is, is it's who we are. So let me ask you this question. Do you wake up in the morning and go, God, I am just, I'm not satisfied until I have spent time with you or until I've heard from you or until I've gotten something from you? Does your soul long for Jesus? Does it want Jesus? And if it doesn't, you have to ask yourself this question. Chances are, maybe this Jesus that I'm talking about really isn't your Jesus yet. And you're just in love with the idea of who he is. You know, my greatest aim for every single person in this room is that one day, when we all stand before Jesus... And we can go, you know what? It was well with my soul. It was well with my soul. I gave everything that I had. Sure, there were times that I screwed it all up. Sure, there were times that I didn't have it all together. But my desire and my aim was to please Jesus. The third way that we love God is with our mind. I'm going to spend a little time on this one because I think some of us get confused. Sometimes there's several components to intellectual love for God. Number one, dedicating our minds to just simply knowing Him. So that's what we're doing for this 21 day fast. You know, what I love about this 21 day fast is that there's many in you, many of you in here, that maybe you're new to the faith or you're new to just church and, and reading your Bible. And so for the, these past 21, these past seven days so far, like, you've actually been disciplined to sit down and read because you have a plan. You go, okay, I know what I need to do. It's laid out before me. It's disciplining our minds to knowing him. It's disciplining our not minds to actually pursuing Jesus. We're making daily habits and routines that sharpen our knowledge of Jesus. We're coming to a place where we say, God, there are things in my life that I just simply don't understand. And instead of living the rest of my life just going, I don't understand. Like we make it a habit to go, okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes to try to sit down and understand this. 
For me, in school, when I was in school, like my arch nemesis was mathematics. Anybody in here, like, you hate math? Okay, I'm, I'm the only one, great. Like, English, awesome, loved it. History, awesome, loved it. Math, like, I wanted to run and crawl in a deep, dark hole and never go into that class. It just never clicked for me, ever. Now, let me ask you this. When I was in that, could I just go, all right, you know what? I just decided not to know, so I'm just not going to do anything. I'm going to fail the test. I had to push myself to get this. So what I did is I had my wife sit in front of me, and I just looked off of her, of her paper. Every <laughs> No, true story. Um, I had to come to a place, if I wanted to pass these classes, that I had to apply myself to learning something that I didn't necessarily understand. Number two, the second way that we love God with all of our mind, thinking clearly and truly about him so we don't have false ideas of who he is. So here's the deal. Let me just, I'm going to share with you one of my greatest pet peeves in the world. When people start a conversation like this, I just don't feel like God, fill in the blank. Or, or they start conversations like, why would a loving God do this? When people say that, here's what they're saying. They're saying, I really don't understand who God is. They really don't understand in their mind like why God does certain things that he does. Because all they do is they just feel something emotionally. And they go, emotionally, that doesn't feel right. That's not right. Are we trying to be students of who God is to truly learn why God does some of the things that he does? Our mind must be sharpened with truth. If you've read and you've followed up in our devotionals, actually two days ago, you would have been in Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew 10, Jesus talks about he's getting his disciples prepared to face persecution. He says, listen, people are going to, they're, they're going to kill you. They're going to beat you. They're going to say bad things about you. They're going to drag your name in the mud. And he just says, listen, I just, I want to prepare you. It may not happen today. It may not happen a year from now. It may not happen two, three, four, five years from now. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so what was he doing? He was giving them truth so that they could begin to prepare themselves for what was going to happen and settle that in their mind. So when this does happen, hey, God's not mad at me. He doesn't hate me. He told me it was going to happen. So here's the deal. If you're in a situation right now where maybe you're suffering through some things or you're in a situation that you simply just don't understand and you're asking that question, God, why? If you were diving into scripture, if you were diving into this book, trying to be student of the word and going, then you start reading through certain things and you go, okay, I understand now. I understand. I understand that God's not trying to be malicious or God doesn't hate me. Sometimes God teaches us. Sometimes God brings us through hard times simply because he loves us and he wants to pull things out of us. If you are aware of the truth, and ultimately, you can begin to prepare your mind for when that happens, right? So if you begin to read truth throughout the scripture and Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this is going to happen. If, if you submit and surrender your life to me and you know, then you can be prepared for things that happen in the future. Number three, not being satisfied with just intellectual awareness of who God is, but intentionally devoting ourselves to him. So here's what, this is, this is big. This is every, if, if you got my sermon from last week and you go, man, I, man, I walked out of here and feel great. God loves me so much. There's nothing I can do to separate myself from the love of Jesus. Here's what this now requires. You to respond. 
You can't just rest. Grace doesn't mean that you can do whatever the heck you want. It doesn't mean that you can go, okay, man, I prayed the prayer. I did the thing. God loves me, and now I can walk out of here and just live however I want. You've still got to deal with sin. But here's what's so cool about it is this, that God loves us so much, now it requires a response to us of going, okay, God, because you first loved me, because you so loved me, now I'm going to respond out of that. There may be some uncomfortable things in my heart that I've got to deal with, but I'm going to deal with them because you love me so much. It's not enough to just be aware of God's love. It's not enough to just know things. Can we implement them? Can we act them out? Can we live them out? It's the, it's, the same, it's the same thing of like when you sit down and you watch TV and maybe you have that commercial that comes on and people that are going, hey, listen, there's kids in Africa that need help. And you go, man, somebody needs to help them. Can you move from actually just going, hey, somebody needs to help them to actually helping them? So it's one thing to sit in here on Sunday and hear about the grand and the greatness of who Jesus is. But then it's another thing to respond to them and go, okay, man. Because of this crazy, just audacious, grand, scandalous love that Jesus has for me, I'm going to respond. I'm going to give him my sin. I'm going to give him my shame. I'm going to deal with these things. I'm going to go down roads that might be uncomfortable in some places that I don't really want to be. And I'm going to make myself weak so that Jesus can be made strong through me. We respond out of them. It's not enough just to simply know who God is. Can we respond to that? Listen, we live in South Louisiana. I mean, you can walk into some of the nastiest places in South Louisiana and some of the craziest festivals in the world of people drunker than a skunk. And you can ask them the question, do you believe in Jesus? Heck yeah, I believe in Jesus. Everybody in South Louisiana is going to say they believe in Jesus, Right? I mean, you could be sitting at a bar drinking a beer, and if you look at somebody and you say, no, I don't believe in Jesus, you can get punched in the face. You live in South Louisiana. Everybody believes in Jesus. It's not enough to simply believe in Jesus, though. It's not, it's not oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's there. Can you respond to that? Are you going to change how you live and how you act? Are you going to allow God to cut on you and shape you? That's the real question. It's not enough to just believe. Can we respond to who Jesus is? 1 Corinthians 9, 27, this is Paul talking. He says, I discipline my body. Some other translations say, I beat my body into submission like an athlete, training to do what it should. And this is scary right here. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Can I tell you something? One of the greatest things in the world that turns people away from the church is Christians that walk in here and they do the whole Christian thing and then they walk outside and they live like just crazy. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, I take my mind, my heart, and my soul and I, I become a student of who God is. I give my everything to who he is because you know why? Because when people come to me and they ask me about this Jesus, they'll see it in me. They'll go, man, I see that man and I see that, that, that Jesus is in him and I want that. And when people come up to you and they ask you questions, hey, tell me about this. Why do you believe this? You can begin to respond to that. Not out of just what you feel, but what, out of what God is teaching you through his word. 
Here's what I want to leave us with this morning. In 2 Corinthians 5. And this is the kind of love that we should have for Jesus. This is Paul talking. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So let me ask you this question. Does the love of Jesus control you? Does it compel you? Does it draw you? Does it push you? Does the love of Jesus control you? And the flip side of that, if it doesn't, then you're controlled by the world. You're controlled by your own flesh and your own desires and your own passions. Let me tell you something. This is, this is what the real gospel is. Everything that you know about the world and everything that you know about culture and all that, Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to flip that upside down. And everything that makes sense to the world is not going to make sense. So here's what the world says. Like, work yourself into the ground so that you can get what you want. Right? Satisfy your needs. Do what's best for you. You don't like the guy anymore? Leave him. You don't like the job? Quit. You don't want to be in this relationship anymore? Get out of it. You don't need to spend time with your family. You need to work. That's, that's what culture tells us, right? Here's what Jesus says. You know what? You're in the relationships and it might be difficult. It might be hard. But you know what? My strength is enough for you. I'm going to help you get through this. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be messy. And it's going to be painful. And it's going to hurt. But in the end, it's going to be really beautiful. And in the end, I'm going to show you who I really am. And I'm a God. I'm a redeemer. And I fix things. That's the God that we serve. It doesn't always make sense to the world around us. Because he flips it upside down. When you are controlled by something, when you are compelled by something, it changes who you are. When you're controlled by the love of Christ because he loved us with this ahava love that says, I'm not going anywhere. You can screw it up. You can mess it all up. But I'm not leaving you. Some of you, you you've got to rest in that. We respond to this great God because he loved us first. My prayer for you this morning is that the love of God would control you. The love of God would compel you. That the love of God would lead you. And that ultimately you would love God not because you have to, but because you desperately want to. You want to. The greatest aim of your life is to point to Jesus. The point of your life is to point to Christ. That's why you were here. I don't know if you know this, but we were created to glorify Jesus. That's our sole purpose on earth. Do you ever ask yourself that question, God, why'd you put me here? There's one simple answer. To point to Jesus. That's why you're here. And all of us have different callings. All of us work in different jobs. Some of us work in the oil field. Some of us work in administration. Some of us work in truck. Wherever it is, the point of your life is to point to Jesus. And let me tell you something, church. 
If the love of God will compel us, not only will he transform you, but it will transform your marriage, it will transform your kids, and then guess what he's going to do? He's going to transform the city. He's going to transform this region. You have, you have an opportunity to be a part of something so much greater than yourself. So much greater than yourself. So how do we love God? It's real simple. Go to Matthew 22. We love God with all of our heart. We love God with all of our soul. And we love God with all of our mind. And I want to close it all out with wrapping it up with this. Love God not because you have to, but love God because that love compels you. So here's what some of you need to do. Some of us need to go home and we need to evaluate our lives. We need to evaluate our schedules. We need to evaluate what we do and what we give ourselves to. And go, God, is my life ordered in a kind of way that pleases you? That it's set up for me to, to love you well? Or is it just structured in order to please myself and get what I want? Is it structured to please you, to love you well? Are there times in the day where you carve out and you say, God, I don't care what happens. This time is for you. This time is for you. The greatest excuse we always say is that there's not enough time to do what we need to do. There's not enough time to read or There's just not enough time to pursue Jesus. And you know how I know that that's a huge excuse? Because you find time to do what you love to do. You find time to do your hobbies. You find time to go hunting. You find time to do all those things. And somehow we can't find time to pursue Jesus. So a few things that I want to encourage you in. If you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus this morning, one, join us in the 21-day fast. Go to our website, occonnect.com. Jump right in. Take the next 14 days and just say, God, I'm giving everything that I have to you. I talked about it last week. Some of you just need, you need to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And this sounds extreme. Like some of you, maybe you're in situations where you need to quit your job and get a new one. Some of you are, are in situations where you're just, man, it's just so stressful. You need to get out of it. I'm not saying you'd be stupid like, man, Pastor Doug just told me to go to my job, but I quit. I'm not, that's dumb. Okay, don't do that. I'm saying, does your life, is it ordered to please God or is it ordered to please you? And if it is, don't feel condemned. Don't feel all the shame of like, dang, I'm just, man, I've screwed my life. Like, Allow God to do something in you right now and rearrange it. So join the 21-day fast. And this is something that I'm super excited about to finally announce to you guys. In February, we're going to be kicking off some life groups all throughout our church. So this is what I would encourage you to do. As you hear us talk about these things, and life groups are simply just a group of people that get together in homes and we crack open the word. And, and more than that, we just go, whatever questions you have, whatever you don't know about Jesus, or, or just if you need somebody to be there for you, that's what they're for. So you get together in a home, you have a meal together, and then for 30, 45 minutes, you just talk about Jesus. And then outside of that, you connect, you build friendships. And then you know what happens when you have that day that comes and it's difficult and it's hard, you can call on those people. 
So get involved in those things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a loving God. God, I pray that this morning, God, that we would love you just out of a deep desire to want to love you. God, that we would understand your love for us. And God, that we would truly learn to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. In Jesus' name.